Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Our sermon this morning will be from Psalm 72, which is our Psalm of the Month. But to provide a little bit of context for that psalm, let's look at Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 67. And I'll read down through verse 80, the end of the chapter. Zacharias is here celebrating the fulfillment of the prophecy that his son, John, has come to be this New Testament Elijah, this one who goes before Jesus and prepares the world to receive Jesus. And this is what Zacharias, filled with the Spirit, has to say. Luke 1, 67 through 80. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. And through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Amen. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, Zacharias becomes, or was, a masterful theologian. He begins his prayer of praise by laying out the conditions of the Davidic promise. He says in seeing his son John, here is the forerunner who is to announce the coming of the king, that descendant of David, that horn of salvation, who will at last bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. But Zechariah then layers on top of that covenant vision from David, the covenant of Abraham, that those promises which were made to Abraham, that, that Israel would be a great nation, that in Israel all the nations would be blessed, and that the name of Israel might be perpetuated forever, those three promises have been folded into the Davidic covenant. And now all at once, as it were, a great dawn was coming, in which the day spring was rising. There was one great light coming into the world. The culmination of the Davidic promises the culmination of the Abrahamic promises, all coming together in one person, Jesus Christ. He is the one in whom all these promises 
are fulfilled. They are indeed, as Paul says, yea and amen. With this in mind, turn back to Psalm 72. Our sermon this morning is from Psalm 72. It is our Psalm of the Month, which means, if you're any good at math, it's been six years. I was ordained, you know, I was ordained in August of 2009. That has nothing to do with this. I was installed here, September 2017. We preach one psalm a month, every month. Psalm 72, here we go. Six years. Psalm 72. Here again, the word of the Lord. A psalm of Solomon. Give the king your judgments, O God. And your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you. As long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations, he shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days, the righteous shall flourish an abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries. The poor also in him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy. And will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. And precious shall be their blood in his sight. And he shall live. And the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayers also will be made for him continually. And daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth. On the tops of the mountains and fruit. Its fruit shall wave like Lebanon. And those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Amen and amen. Well, when you're two weeks up on the hilltop at White Lake, you get this snapshot of human nature. It's most vivid in the cabins and how they are run. These little white cabins from the 1930s with their green trim. 
They hold the kids and the teens this last week. And in boys' cabin one and girls' cabin one are the little seven and eight-year-olds, many of whom have never spent a night away from their parents, certainly not on a hilltop frequented by raccoons and bears. And there they are, trying to figure out how to get through the week. And with that removal of parental authority, something fascinating happens in their little seven and eight-year-old heart. Out comes the little anarchist. I'm not going to brush my teeth. I'm not going to eat my vegetables. I'm not going to take a shower. I'm not going to change my underwear. And these poor counselors have to tame these little anarchists that are unleashed. On the other end of the spectrum are the 17 and 18 year olds who have just graduated from teen camp and are perhaps for the first time in a cabin as a counselor, and they have been handed power. And out comes from their hearts, not anarchy, but tyranny. The desire to rule over these little ones and to be obeyed as they give command. How do we get through this life fulfilling the fifth commandment? When we, by nature, run after anarchy or tyranny or both at the same time? How do we avoid these extremes when we exercise authority or submit to it? Psalm 72 gives us the answer that we attempted to practice at White Lake Camp this last week. We would tell the tyrannical counselors, you remember that your authority is for the good of your people and from God. And we would tell the little anarchists, your parents might not be here, but Jesus is. And he has rules for how you should live your life. Whether we are in authority or whether we are under authority, Psalm 72 offers us good news. Offers us this great truth. Jesus is the king of blessings. In his authority and under his authority is a manifold number of blessings. And so together, friends, let us bless him for his rule and reign over us. In our authority and under our authority, let us bless God. Let's look together at this psalm. Notice at the beginning in the subtitle, we are told it is a psalm of Solomon. Notice then at the end in verse 20, we are told that it is a prayer of David. How is it both? Well, quite simply, it is the final prayer of David. It is the end of his prayers. Verse 20 could be interpreted chronologically or historically. David, at the end of his life, perhaps co-authors with Solomon this psalm of succession. This psalm that, that marks, blesses, prays for the transfer of power from David to Solomon. Perhaps, on the other hand, it is not the final chronological or historical psalm. Perhaps it is final in the sense of it is his ultimate wish. It is David's last will and testament. It is David's legacy for his son Solomon. Whichever one you prefer, and they're not all that disagreeable, perhaps they could coexist. Either way, the vision is 
that David is in his bed dying. And his son, Adonijah, wants to usurp the throne without his permission. Bathsheba and Nathan warn David. And David quickly intercedes and gets Solomon crowned. And this, perhaps, is the psalm that reflects on that moment of transition where King Solomon, in his crown and in his royal robe, steps into the death chamber of David, beholds his dying father on the bed, his father summons his failing strength, sits up, and bows. David is no longer king. Solomon is now king. Can you imagine the extraordinary humility of a father bowing to a son? Of a king who has ruled and reigned unchallenged and unrivaled for 40 years. Taking off his crown and bowing before Solomon, his son. David prays for his son and successor. David acknowledges his authority was never about him. It was always about the true David who is to come. He knows himself not to be the supreme answer. He knows there is one who is coming. And Solomon is his type and shadow. In verse 1, David prays the chief prayer, the organizing principle of the psalm. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. David, with his dying breath, longs for Solomon to rule with the judgments and righteousness of God. He wants Solomon's reign to rightly and truly reflect the reign of God. He wants Solomon to have a godlike goodness in how he rules. Is this our desire? Is this what we long for? Do you pray for those who are in authority over you? If David, who for 40 years was king and head of the people of Israel, if David, who was father, who birthed and raised Solomon, can bow his head before Solomon and say, you are now king, and I pray for your success, What excuse do we have for not praying for those who are in authority over us? How much more should we pray, Father, give your justice and your righteousness to those who rule over us. Give them a God-like goodness in their exercise of authority. I submit to you that one of the great struggles we have in praying for our parents who are in authority over us in praying for the civil magistrate who is over us, in praying for the elders and the pastors who are over us, is that really at the end of the day, we're little anarchists at heart. And we don't want their authority to prosper. We want to be entirely independent and autonomous. Likewise, we are tempted to tyranny and not inclined to pray for those who are in authority over us. Not wanting to... Submit ourselves to them. And yet, Psalm 72 would teach us to pray for those who are in authority. Conveniently for us this morning, we can follow these authority figures with three Ps. We have parents, 
pastors, and politicians. I did not work hard on that. It came to me this morning. We have these persons, there's another one, who are in authority, who rule over us, for whom we should pray. And we should pray that they would enjoy justice and righteousness in their exercise of authority. But there is a tension in this. While we pray for those who are in authority, those who are in power, to be just and righteous as God is in heaven, we do not look to them ultimately with our hope and our faith. David, dying on his bed, has realized he's not the king that the world is looking for. David, undoubtedly by this time, looking at his young son Solomon, knows... He's not the king that the world is looking for. Even when you pray for your parents, even when you pray for those who rule over you in the church, even when you pray for those who rule over you in the state, and you pray for them to be righteous and just in their rule, do not lose sight of the fact they're not the ones you're looking for. They are not your saviors. There is one king in head, And his name is Jesus Christ. We pray for good godly government in all our spheres of life. But we also realize and recognize there is only one good and godly government in this world. And his name is Jesus Christ. This tension David keeps taught and firm throughout the psalm. He will now list three blessings that come. Three blessings that fall upon the people of God when they acknowledge, recognize, and maintain this tension. The first blessing is peace. He says in verse 7 that in the days of Solomon, the righteous will flourish and there will be an abundance of peace until the moon is no more. There will be this perpetuity of peace. So long as Solomon is there, the righteous can flourish. So long as Solomon is there, peace will be abundant. This word peace is not simply the absence of conflict. It is not simply the absence of war. In Hebrew, peace is the idea of fullness, completeness, lacking in nothing. This sense of all needs met. This sense of everything is well and as it should be. Is expressed in verse 2. You will judge your people with righteousness And your poor with justice. This message comes out in verse 4. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy. And will break in pieces the oppressor. David's vision is that Solomon will rule in a way. In which the needy have their their needs met. Because there is a king over the kingdom. Who makes sure. That needs are met. How does he do this in verse 3? The mountains will bring peace. And the little hills by righteousness. This metaphor is a common one in the scriptures. It refers to those mountains who have great power. And little hills who have little power. In other words. Solomon will set up a system of government. In which he will distribute justice and righteousness through all the land. He will maintain that no one who is in authority is able to oppress. Verse 4. 
He will break in pieces those who abuse their authority. He will ruin their rule who do not rule righteously. But rather, all the way down at the other end of the spectrum, the children of the needy will be well cared for. This is the blessing that we have in the righteous exercise of authority. That even the children of the needy are remembered. That the farthest down the, the chain of like human beings, where there is no power, no ability to save oneself, no ability to meet one's needs, even all the way down there to the children of the needy, the needs are met. This image is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, where Jesus has replaced Solomon as king and head of the church. And Jesus has distributed his spirit to rule and reign in the hearts of all his disciples. And we're told twice in the book of Acts that no one had any needs. Because everyone who belonged to that fellowship met the needs of one another. Notice that there are mountains and hills in the people of God. Some who have little resource and some who have great resource. But whether we have much or whether we have little, we have Jesus. And in the riches and joy and justice of Jesus, we care for one another. We love one another. In verse 5, those who exercise authority do so in fear of the great king. They do so with reverence and respect for those who are in authority over them. And so their authority falls in verse 6, like rain upon the grass, like showers that water the earth. A fruitfulness comes up in the kingdom of heaven. A fruitfulness comes up in the church That when Jesus' spirit falls like rain upon the church in Pentecost, the fruit of the spirit comes forth in abundance. And love, joy, peace, prosper and abound. You see, when Jesus is enthroned in the home, and parents exercise authority like Jesus is in charge, peace abounds. When pastors and elders have Jesus enthroned over their pulpits and Jesus enthroned over their hearts, peace in the church abounds. His spirit is among us and at work in us, causing us to love one another and to meet one another's needs with generosity and grace. And likewise, my friends, When Jesus is enthroned in Washington, D.C. or Beacon Hill, peace abounds. When the exercise of authority is done with reverence for God, is done with respect for the work of Jesus Christ, knowing Him to be the just and fair judge, knowing Him to be the source of righteousness, that God has given justice and righteousness to those who are in authority, that their authority might be exercised for the prospering of their people, that peace might flourish and abound. This is the first blessing. But notice that inasmuch as we pray for this, that our society should look like this, we don't expect it in full until Jesus himself is here to take charge. We seek it. 
But we know it is only in Jesus and His reign ultimately. There's a great illustration of this this last week. One of the habits that the staff, the counselors took up was debating socialism and capitalism, which is a little bit too strong. Actually, it was a bunch of teenagers and young 20-somethings debating more government involvement or less government involvement. That's kind of more of what they were doing. It was kind of fun to sit back and watch them go back and forth and debate and argue until the moment came on the second to last day, late in the afternoon, I was sitting there watching this little bit of entertainment when one young lady said with a great big sigh, it's as if we just needed somebody who like had all the wisdom and all the goodness and all the power to just run it all. And I walked over and said, high five. That is the correct conclusion. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to run our economy. We need Jesus to run our government. We need Jesus to run our homes, to run our church. And we need people who believe that. Who live like that. Who say, all authority that has been given to me is a reflection of the authority that Jesus has. And that all responsibility that I wear, I wear on Jesus' behalf. I am not my own. I am not the little tyrant of my family, my church, my city, my state. Nor am I a little anarchist all to myself. But I belong to a body. The body of Christ over which there is a head and his name is Christ. And when I exercise authority and reverence to Jesus. Then I exercise authority rightly. The second blessing is then submission to this power. Beginning in verse 8, David recounts the far reach of Solomon's reign. That as he prays for Solomon in verses 2 through 7, to extend his goodness down to the very bottom of the children of the needy, that every strata of that ancient society should be greatly enriched through his righteousness. So now David prays for the farther expanse of his righteous rule. That he should have dominion from sea to sea. This probably refers to the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe the Dead Sea. Either way, he's basically drawing a tiny little circle around Palestine and saying, May Solomon enjoy no rebellion in his own home country. May Solomon enjoy dominion over the land that should be loyal to him. From the river to the ends of the earth. This is likely an eastward vision. May he rule from the Jordan to Japan. From the river Jordan to the ends of the earth going east. Solomon, may he enjoy dominion over his own little piece of the Middle East. But may he also extend his rule all over Asia. That's a big continent. There's a lot of people between the Jordan River and the Isles of Japan. And yet that's David's prayer for him. May those who dwell in the wilderness, that is in the most remote, hard-to-reach places, those who eschew civilization in its conformity, those who are independent in the wild, they will bow to him. And his enemies, those who oppose and resist his rule, who rebel against him, may they lick the dust. In this way, he's noting the far reach of his authority He's noting the overwhelming reach of his authority, even in hearts that don't want to submit to him initially. In verse 10, he mentions the 
kings of Tarshish, the kings of Sheba, and the kings of Seba. These are the great trading empires of David's age. And may even the great superpowers of his era come and submit to him, offer presents to him, give gifts to him. David prays for Solomon's supremacy over that age's superpowers. He concludes in verse 11, Yes, all kings shall fall down before him, all nations serve him. David not only prays that Solomon would righteously and justly exercise his authority with respect for the coming of Jesus. He prays then that he would enjoy the willing submission of all people everywhere. Now these become rich verses where if we apply it to our civil magistrate, if we apply it to our church and to our family experiences, those who are in authority with us and among us, it's encouraging. May we have children who respect their parents. May we have citizens who cherish their government. May we have church members who love their elders and their pastor. May there be a willing submission, a humble heart in all the people who come under the shadow of the authority. But there's also this element of expansion and increase, isn't there? Which is just a little creepy. I don't want to go around praying that America would become the world's lone superpower. I don't want to be praying that America will take over the world and run all the financial business. And that way we race immediately to Jesus. But I'm okay with that one. Let us pray that Jesus enjoys supremacy the world over. That if we understand all authority wherever it is found in the world should have willing subjection as Jesus achieves willing subjection through the gospel, then our hearts can be so encouraged. This is the blessing that Jesus brings. The end of the rebellious heart that resists authority. Since the 1960s, it has been very difficult to talk to Americans about authority. It is generally assumed that the exercise of authority is a bad thing. The Bible disagrees with Americans since the 1960s. Authority is fundamentally a good thing. And letting dominion reach as it ought is a good thing. Letting authority come over the wilderness of our lives transforms it into a garden. Letting Jesus rule over the rebellious places of our heart brings about prosperity and peace. Letting Jesus conquer us and being willing to submit to him in his rule. Letting him run our lives and stopping, you know, stopping the habit that we have of trying to seize control from him brings about a peace and a prosperity to us. This then is the third blessing, this prosperity. That as Jesus rules over the world through the authority he has given There is a peace through the righteousness and the justice he brings. That as we willingly submit to those who are in authority over us. And we respect them as gifts from God. And above all, we respect Jesus as the gift of God to rule over us. He then intercedes in our world to bring about his purposes. Indeed, the prosperity of life on earth. In verses 12 through 14, Jesus says he will... David says of Jesus, He will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor in him who has no helper. 
Notice that the king is not isolated in his palace. He is willing and able to hear the cries of the needy. Most kings in human history do not operate like this. They dwell in their isolated little echo chambers. In this way, middle-class America has become the most royal of all societies. We sit in our little isolated echo chambers, and we do not hear the cries of the poor and the needy. We deafen ourselves with all kinds of indulgences and conveniences. But not so our king. He hears the cries of the needy. He is a help to the poor. He is with them in their suffering. He will spare the poor and needy. He will race to their aid and save their souls, redeeming them from oppression and violence. Precious will be their blood. That is their life. He will love life in all the exercise of his authority. And under Jesus' reign, in which life is cherished and caused to prosper and flourish in every possible way, there are those authorities that will likewise love life. One of the greatest tragedies, as many of you well know, is that we have a civil government today that does not love life. They drink the blood of innocence. And they destroy life. With oppression and violence, much of our land is run. From the unborn to the oldest and everywhere in between. We have sad story after sad story of the abuse of authority in order to cause oppression and violence and bloodshed. This is not how Jesus reigns. And I wish I was just talking about our civil government. Don't you? I wish I couldn't turn to the church and say, and there too, you see those who are in authority, oppression and violence. Not loving the lives they've been entrusted with. Not loving the poor and the needy, but preying on the weak. I wish I was just talking about nations and churches and not families. But even in the home, we can see the abuse of authority as life is poured out like blood in the streets, as oppression and violence take over. And this is not how Jesus exercises authority It is not how Jesus would have us exercise authority. Are you in authority? Then love life. Love the life of those who are beneath you. Love their prosperity and their peace and their well-being. Hear their cries and help them. What you have been given has been given to you by Jesus to be an expression of His righteous rule. And he shall live. He shall live among them. He shall be Emmanuel, God with us. That he should walk among the lampstands in Revelation and know the condition of all who are under his care. That he should hear the prayers of his people as incense rising in the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation. That the prayers should be continually before him and his praises continually on his lips. As gold flows into him, 
As all the well-being and the wealth of the world comes to him because he is the one full of love, full of care and compassion for his people. Does this mark your exercise of authority? That people want to follow you because you have love in your heart and love on your tongue. And they say when there's people under his care, they thrive and they prosper. This is what they say of Jesus, that life flourishes beneath him. Verse 16, an abundance of grain in the earth. There is prosperity and peace abounding. And and notice in verse 16, on the tops of the mountains. Have you guys ever tried to farm on a mountaintop? Do you know what they raise on mountaintop farms? Sheep and goats and cattle. You know why? Because they're the ones that eat the only things that grow there. Short, stubby grass. But according to verse 16, the exercise of Jesus' authority in this world is so enriching, so prospering, so full of righteousness and justice that there is even an abundance of grain on the tops of mountains. That even those who are full of power and selfishness can yet bear the fruit of the Spirit when they come under the influence and reign of Jesus Christ. This is the longing and the prayer of David. That in this psalm, a prayer should enter the heart and life of the church. In which we cry out for all who are in authority. That they should be full of the Spirit and full of the Word and exercise their authority in a way that makes the world thrive. Fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. That people should become prosperous in number and life and well-being. This is the third blessing. That Jesus should reign over our nation to the conquering of violence and oppression. To the prospering of peace. That Jesus should reign over our hearts and our homes. That Jesus should reign over this church and all our churches. And that when Jesus does reign, he's the king of blessings. And we are greatly blessed. So then, David brings us to the last, the only conclusion. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. His name that is above every name. His name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess. His name by which men must be saved. That name that is everlasting. That name that is flourishing and as long as the sun. That name that descends upon every nation to its blessing. Men shall be blessed in him. When it is the name of Jesus we wear on our hearts, others are blessed in us. When it is the name of Jesus we wear on our work. I kept leaving that out in preparation. I was going to actually preach families, churches, civil spheres, and work. Because it certainly appears there. Anywhere there's leadership. Anywhere there's authority. Wherever we go, if we go in the name of Jesus with His blessings of peace, with His blessings of humility, with His blessings of prosperity, there others are blessed in us. And all nations call Him blessed. And all nations say, this Jesus, He's good. He's good for my people. 
So many times there has been this sweet joy where employers say, I love hiring Christians. They're the best workers. May it be so that civil magistrates say, I love Christians in my country. They're the best citizens. May it be so that those who are in authority say, I love those who are under authority who bless me in the name of Jesus. That those who are under authority indeed bless Jesus in that relationship. As a result, if we live in a world where those who exercise authority do so in the blessing of Jesus, and those who submit to authority do so in the blessing of Jesus, this is the result. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with His glory. David dreams of the day where Solomon lives up to this awesome image. And Solomon won't do it. It will be Jesus who will come. And as the great true Solomon, as the great true son of David, Jesus will be the one in whom the nations are blessed. The one whose blessed and glorious name fills the earth with glory to God. And this becomes a call to us to be agents of blessing. To be those who bless the name of Jesus in how we exercise our authority. And being a blessing to those around us in how we submit to authority. Is your relationship to power whether you have it or don't, a blessing to others. A sign and a representation, a living example of how Jesus handles authority so that the whole world should look and see the glory of God. When David says of Solomon, That the world should look and see the glory of God. Do not lose sight of the moment in which David is living. David's prayer in David's psalm is coming out of his heart and from his pen. In in a moment in which glory looks like this. A gray-headed, balding old man who can no longer keep his body warm. Is marshalling the strength to sit up in bed. To bow to his son and king. Does that look like glory? Does that look like power? Does that look like authority? And yet David says. That's what it looks like. What about a naked man hanging on a cross. Dripping blood. On the sun soaked soil. Of the Palestinian Middle East. Does that look like power? Does that look like authority? Does that look like glory? Paul says he put to shame all principalities and powers. He triumphed over them gloriously. This is what we should pray for when we pray for our leaders. This is what we should pray for when we pray for our parents, our politicians. This is what we should pray for when we pray for those who exercise authority. That they stare at the cross of Christ and we say, that's how you wield power. That they stare at the dying David in his bed and say, that's how you wield power.
that we should pray and expect Christ-like love from those who are in power. Beloved, Jesus is the King of blessings. Let's bless him. Please pray with me now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for such a beautiful psalm. We thank you for so many rich truths. We thank you for so many great lessons. We pray, Father, that you would equip us to obey what we have heard, to rejoice in the Jesus we have seen, to swell with the love and the grace that he has given us. Father, we ask you now to renew our hearts, to transform our minds, and we pray, Father, to grant us great diligence in this. Father, we fear, we fear that we hear with one ear and lose with the other. We are so easily distracted with the cares of this life. And we ask you now to have mercy on us. That we who are in authority would now go exercise it in love. And we who are under authority would submit to it in love. And that we would find that Jesus, through obedience to the fifth commandment, is indeed working out his will and purpose for us in our lives. We give you thanks, O God, for this lesson and ask that we would live it well to the praise of your name. In that name we pray. Amen.